0: Good evening and welcome. This is a studio recording of session 7 wherein we deal with the issue of grace being transmitted in and through the word of God. The live recording of this session was somewhat damaged so I have elected to share this particular studio recording of the same with you. As I've said, this is the second part of Session 7, wherein we deal with the issue of God's grace being expressed or contained, and thereby imparted through the medium of His Word. For the sake of efficiency, I have chosen to read through the balance of my notes to finish off this particular segment in the series of On the grace of God in our prior session we clearly demonstrated that the grace of God is couched within his word so whenever his word is declared in and through those whom he has positioned in your life to speak to you the word of the Lord grace is meant to be imparted to you uh, in and through that process so just to reiterate Many portions of scripture link the speaking forth of the word with the release and the impartation of grace. A classic uh, case in point would be Psalm 45, which is a messianic psalm, Uh, that is, it is prophetic of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 2 of Psalm 45, the psalmist declared prophetically of the Lord, you are fairer than the sons of men, grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Note the imperative, grace is poured upon your lips. Hence, you are fairer than the sons of men. What makes any man fair or distinguished among men is his grace content. And this obviously is true of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's true of any servant of Christ who functions as a carrier of of grace, that he or she will be distinguished by the grace that they carry. But that grace is meant to be imparted to you, and by their declaration of words given to them by God, words on their lips carry grace. The Message Bible frames the same verse in the following terms. Every word from your lips... Is sheer grace, and the NIV frames it as follows: Your lips have been anointed with grace. The Hebrew phrase Yafa or yapa is translated in English as fairer, and the word indicates a brightness or an excellence that is attendant with the person so jesus here is described as fairer and afterwards the text indicates that grace pours forth from his lips yapa fairer indicates excellence and splendor in both an ethical and moral sense the factor that distinguishes christ and by implication his sons as well is the degree to which words or speaking is characterized by grace by speech is grace imparted but the impartation by speech is only possible by one who has become the word in his flesh that is he lives obediently according to the word of the lord we only receive grace upon grace from his fullness when he the word has become flesh. And the same will also apply to you and I. Now, note the emphasis in the text. It says, grace is poured upon your lips. The lip is the part of the mouth which is used to frame, formulate, and sound out words. Specifically, the word of God. Jesus is still speaking words of grace to us through his servants that he has positioned over us. They will on His behalf speak to us. Now the following verses of scripture confirm this. Matthew ten twenty says, For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Matthew 10 40 says, he who receives you receives me and he who receives me receives him who sent me John 13 verse 20 Truly truly I say to you he who receives whoever I send receives me and he who receives me receives him who sent me In Luke 10:16 the one who listens to you listens to me The one who rejects you, rejects me. The one who rejects me, rejects the one who has sent me. So the Lord is still speaking. He who is fairer with grace, anointed lips or lips full of grace, with grace dripping from the sound of his words. is still speaking in and through the ones he has sent to us. To speak His word to us, to reject those ones would be to reject the source of grace Himself, which is Christ. In Galatians 4:14, 4, Paul said to the to the saints at Galatia, "And that which was a trial to you, in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ." Himself. So in receiving Paul, they received Christ Himself. In Second Thessalonians chapter two and verse thirteen, he said, For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, that is the word of God which also performs. It's work in you who believe. Now Paul is very emphatic here. He's stating that the word of God performs its work in us who believe dependent upon how it's received. He makes the point to the Thessalonians that they received the word that he, Paul, preached, not as Paul's words, but for what they really are. That is, the words of God himself. And when man's words, that is the man functioning as a servant of Christ, representing him, when that man speaks words, they are not his words, they are the words of God. And if they are received as such, the recipients of that word release the inherent power in that word to work mightily within them. So grace is found in the words, on the lips of the one that God has sent to you with his words. Now, heeding the word from a spiritual father imparts grace for rulership and reigning. We can never ever divorce grace from rule or grace from reigning. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 8 and 9 says the following. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. Now, note here that the father's instruction is likened unto two things namely, a graceful wreath on your head. And ornaments or chains on your neck the wreath on the head is symbolic of victory and chains around the neck are symbolic of eminence dignity and delegated authority as a reference check out Genesis chapter 41 and verses 42 so then exposure to and application of an instruction from a father imparts grace to you and positions you for victorious living. Victorious living is symbolically designated by these two images of a graceful wreath on your head and ornamental chains about your neck. When we hear and obey God's words as they are communicated in and through our spiritual leaders The grace imparted actually positions you to reign in life and to come to be known as fairer among men with a sense of beauty, regality, dignity, and authority. Attendant with this will come capacity to rule, to dominate, to be successful in life, to represent God accurately as His Son and to execute His will in a very efficient and successful way. Romans chapter 5 verse 17 is a key scripture in reference to linking grace with rulership. For by the transgression of one, it says, death reigned through one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one, Jesus Christ. Now, the name Stephen means crowned, denoting rulership and honor. For he who wears a crown rules. So Stephen's name, meaning crowned, denotes rulership and honor. And the scriptures indicate in the New American Standard Bible that in Acts chapter 6, verse 8, that Stephen was full of grace. Grace crowns you and will afford you rulership and dominion in life." So there's no contradiction between grace and rulership. Grace affords rulership. As Stephen, whose name means crowned, and therefore the implication of rulership, it's said of him that he was full of grace And I ask, I pray that as you listen to this broadcast and as you yourself grow in the grace of God, that you too, your life will be characterized by rulership, by dominion, by overcoming, by a successful life. When we think of the image of a throne, a throne denotes the position from which a king issues forth decrees and expedites his purposes within his realm of influence. God's throne is described as a throne of grace. You cannot separate rulership from grace. Where grace is operative in the life, rulership and victory is granted to subjugate any principle or state that stands in contradiction to God's will. I want to emphasize that where grace is operative in the life, rulership and victory is granted to subjugate any principle or state that stands in contradiction to God's will. Also, grace not only causes us to reign, but as we reign, our rule itself will be characterized. By the grace of God all rule should then be graceful now gracious words flow from the one in and whom the word is for fault and what is declared can be experienced by the hearers let's repeat that for emphasis when gracious words flow from the one in whom the word is fulfilled. What is declared by that person speaking those words can be experienced by the hearers of those words. The impact of the word of God pregnant with grace upon the hearers of those words will only be realized when the speaker of those words, him or herself, has become the embodiment of the word that they seek to proclaim now in Luke chapter 4 from verses 17 to 22 we hear the words or the phrase rather gracious words or words of grace and I want to read the entirety of this passage I would ask you to please listen with intent and penetrative insight Luke 4 from verse 17 to 22 and the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him and he opened the book and he found the place where it was written verse 18 the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives the recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are oppressed to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord verse 20 and he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Not in your sight, in your hearing. And all were speaking well of him and wondered at the gracious words or words of grace which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, Is this not Joseph's son? Now, the reading of this portion in the book by Jesus, released grace to the hearers. Jesus was reading a portion from the scroll of Isaiah to those gathered in the synagogue that day. Perhaps in times past others have read the same passage but no impartation of grace. It is essential that the one, that is the spiritual father or spiritual leader to whom you relate, The one that speaks forth the word of God to you is sent from God. Jesus was sent from God and he was full of grace. And he speaks words full of grace which others recognize as graceful. If there is no speaking forth of words pregnant with grace because the speaker himself Has become the embodiment of that word No grace will be imparted You might hear what he says But there will there will be no attendant grace deposit uh, There was a distinct difference in the words of Jesus heard by people present at this meeting in the synagogue they marveled and they wondered at the words of grace that they that they heard note that Jesus read a passage within the context of a prophetic word over his life being fulfilled before the eyes grace is imparted through a true sent one bearing the word to you most powerfully when there's an apostolic anointing that is focused on incarnating that word that is Actually bringing the word to pass in your life Now also, it is essential for the spiritual father who is meant to impart grace to his spiritual sons To be living and obeying that word which he releases Jesus said today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing he was at that point in time a living fulfillment of the word that he just released. And through this dynamic, grace was imparted. Those servants of God meant to impart grace to you through the speaking of the word of God must themselves be living examples of that word made flesh in their own lives in order for grace to be dispensed from their words to you. Grace dripped forth from the mouth of Jesus as he spoke the word. The grace imparted in the word he released would have manifested in specific results. For example, in terms of what he actually declared was what he actually was or would do. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. To release the captives to bring sight to the blind etc. So we can expect then that those results then would manifest in the lives of those who heard this word. So there would be the release of captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, freedom to those who are oppressed etc. Grace impartation will be obvious by the many effects it would produce in the lives of those who receive the word. Now, let's speak about imitating those who speak God's word to you, strengthening your heart by grace. Hebrews chapter 13 from verse 7 to 9 says the following. Remember those who led you, who spoke to you the word of God and consider the result of their conduct. Imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Verse 9. Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace and not by foods through which those who are so occupied were not benefited. Now in this text, the reference to food Is indicative of teaching or doctrine and in this context it would be false doctrine or teaching note that your heart can be strengthened or established by grace as indicated in verse 9 but your heart is only strengthened or established by grace when you hear the Word of God for in verse 7 It says, remember those who led you and spoke the word of God to you. So when they speak, you hear. And if you accept it, obey it, the effect of that would be to strengthen your heart in grace. But this is only possible when three things are in place. Number one, if the conduct of the leader or spiritual father is considered by you, and deemed reflective of the word that they preach. Not the emphasis in verse seven. Remember those who led you and spoke to you the word of God. Then it says this: considering the result of their conduct, not only considering the accuracy of their speech and what you hear. Of their doctrine but you examine investigate and analyze their conduct so the, the grace transfer number one is dependent upon if the conduct of the leader is considered by you and deemed reflective or representative of the word that they actually preach number two your heart will be strengthened by grace if you then Having judged the leader's word to be true and their lives accurate, an accurate reflection of that word, you then are required to imitate their faith. In other words, to obey what you've heard and to copy the example or mimic the example of obedience that you see reflective in their lives. The third requirement would be this, concerning the leaders who speak the word, if what they teach is not false or strange teaching, ensure that what you hear is accurate doctrine, reflective of and revealing the nature of Christ to you. Now, when you bring yourself under the hearing of the one who speaks, the accurate word of God to you, you will get an impartation of grace. But the greatest degree of impartation of the grace that is attendant with the word released is when you actually obey that word, when the word becomes incarnate, as indicated by the phrase, imitate their faith. When you do that, grace that the maximum grace imparted reaches its heightened potential in you. Most certainly when you hear God's word, some grace is meted out. But in the act of obedience, I believe, is when the grace imparted is maximized or fully expressed in you to the degree where you can become strengthened by grace after having imitated their faith through obedience. This places a more serious responsibility on us all to adopt a more serious, noble, Berean attitude where we consistently and penetratively inquire into the word of the Lord to validate the accuracy of what we hear taught to us. I refer you to examine How the Bereans, the Jews at Berea, tested what Paul said and examined the accuracy thereof before they received it. Now this is important because grace will only be imparted through accurate doctrine. Your heart will never be strengthened by false foods or false doctrines. In the book of 2 Peter 3, verse 17 and 18, it says, You therefore, beloved Knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men, falling away from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Now, there's a warning in here by Peter that we are not to be carried away by the error of unprincipled men and then immediately encourages us to grow in grace. Now, the Greek term for unprincipled is the phrase or the term estesmos, unprincipled. Estesmos literally means lawless or wicked. One who breaks through the restraint of law or gratifies his own flesh. So he breaks through the restraint of law in a bid to gratify his own sensual indulgence. Uh, This word unprincipled speaks to one that is not in conformity to acceptable custom. One who deviates from conduct that is accepted as good and adopted as law or A rule of custom to be unprincipled is to be lawless you go against uh, what is right or what is legal now we are warned to not to be carried away by the error of such men men that are given over to lawless behavior where any restraint is removed and there's this woeful indulgence in acts, attitudes or behaviours that are contrary to what is biblically acceptable. If we heed the doctrine of such men, we fall from our own steadfastness. The Greek term for steadfastness is sterygmos, which literally means a firm condition or stability. Specifically, firmness or stability within the mind we, we are not unseated in terms of our thinking process, our soberness men, uh, mentally, our equilibrium, our sobriety, the manner in which we think. We are not tottered or unseated in terms of our firm grasp on, 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 our, on, on our thought process or our thinking um, and testifying in the mind to things we know to be true. So it speaks to one that is not, une- not easily persuaded away from what he knows to be right. Now, Peter here highlights the fact that there are certain caliber of men who seduce others, leading them astray with false or erroneous doctrine. These men are further described as unprincipled, without law, who deliberately transgress known and well-established codes of acceptable behavior. They adopt a licentious pattern of behavior in which they are given to all kinds of lured and perverse activity. The effect produced in those that are their victims is that the victim will fall from his own steadfastness. They become unstable and are no longer firmly rooted and consistent in their commitment to Christ and to truth. This instability also manifests in an absence of grace. Grace strengthens the heart, as we've said, establishes you, makes you stable. If then, as we've read to these individuals that succumb to the error of unprincipled men, then it testifies to the fact that they are grace deficient. So hence Peter positions, in the next verse, Second uh, Peter 3, 18, after warning us of this condition in verse 17, he says, Grow in grace. He says, growing in grace, he positions that phrase in the same context as the remedy for not falling from a steadfast position because of exposure to inaccurate teaching through those whose lives are not true reflections of the nature of Christ. You will not fall from your steadfastness if you consistently grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is a process which demands that you access the Word of God through an authentic and legitimate servant of Christ. Doctrine that does not lead to an increase in the experiential and subjective knowledge of Christ Will not impart grace to you. So the issue is growing grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The impartation of the word, the impartation of the word or doctrine or teaching meant to impart grace, must for grace to be received, lead the hearer of that word into a personal, experiential, and subjective knowledge of Christ. By that process, the grace of Christ will increase within your life. In Second Peter chapter 1, verse 2, we learn that grace is multiplied in knowledge of God and of Jesus. Specifically, it says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, it is through our growth in knowing God, That grace is multiplied and our knowledge of God grows primarily through his word it is through the word that christ reveals himself recall that the greek word oxano translated as grow in the phrase growing christ implies that for something to grow in grace it must be acted upon by by an outside power Or have the element of life within it or him. So in our quest to excel in grace, we need the influence of God's word upon us through the person that God has elected and positioned in our lives as our spiritual oversight. God's word is the external power that must come to us and then it must become us. Further, the many-sided grace of God will express its varied expressions and effects designed to benefit you through the person, that is, the spiritual father to whom you relate, who him or herself should be connected to, a valid apostolic father. Let me read it again. The many-sided grace of God will express itself in varied expressions and effects designed to benefit you through the person uniquely positioned in your life by the Heavenly Father to represent him to you The word carries grace But the word is communicated to you through a leader that God by sovereign choice Has placed within your life. This leader will be grace endowed in an extraordinary sense, your submission to this person and to the word that he or she carries will determine the flow of God's grace to you. We will take up and demonstrate this issue more fully in our next session. I trust that you are enriched, encouraged, ennobled, enlightened, and that God's grace will be abundantly increased within your life in ever-increasing measures. May great grace, peace, and mercy from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Spirit of God be your portion. Bless you. Amen.